I really hope this doesn't fall. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see you all. I feel like three people also agree. That's okay. That's okay. Um, my name is David St. Jean. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, very grateful for this opportunity to preach. Um, anytime I preach, it's always like extremely nerve-wracking um, because this word is so true and so powerful, and I just want to be faithful to it. So I just want to pray before I start. I'm, I'm the preacher who always cries. That's my, that's my tiger. I just believe it so much. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you tell the truth. Thank you that you can be relied on. Thank you that there's hope in your word. Thank you that there's power in your word. There's healing, there's deliverance, there's joy, God. And so I pray as your word goes forth that you would fill us with joy, that you would fill us with your peace, that you would fill us with confidence, that you would fill us with praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been a Christian for about 13 years, right? Which is funny to say because I grew up in, uh, in a home with that, pretty much I was, grew up in a pastor's home. My, my father's a pastor, my mom was like a pastor's wife and like a church leader. But I didn't come to faith until I was about 19, maybe. Uh, even though I've been in church services, I played through services, I preached sermons in churches as a teenager and I wasn't a Christian. Um, and as I became a Christian, I became to understand who God was. And as I, I learned who God was and the nature of who God was, I just fell more and more in love with him, right? It's this idea of like, as you learn more about God, it's like, wow, like you are truly worthy. You're tr you are truly beautiful to the point where sometimes I get scared of heaven because heaven is an eternity and heaven is an eternity of being with God, knowing God, enjoying God. And it's like, Am I going to get bored of you? Like, how is this going to happen for all of eternity that I'm going to fall in love with you over and over and over again? That there's going to be another layer of you to know and to appreciate. Like, that idea for me is terrifying, even though I'm very much looking forward to heaven. Um, there's so many aspects of God that I, I love, right? Like, I love his grace. I love his power. Um, I geek out sometimes about how much God knows. Like, if you think about that, that might, like, blow your mind. Like, God knows everything. Like literally everything, everything about everything there is to know. Like he knows everything that's happening tomorrow. He knows everything that's happened in 1846. He knows about alternate realities and multiverses. Like if you didn't wake up this morning at 9.03 and decided to wake up instead of 8.46, he knows exactly what would happen, even if it didn't happen. He knows literally everything. God knows all. God is absolutely gracious. He's, he's beautiful. He's kind, right? There's so much to know about him. And as I've matured as a Christian, one of my favorite things about God, or one of the favorite aspects of him, is his commitment to truth. No one is more committed to truth than God is. No one has ever told you more truth than God. It's literally because he is truth, and he is committed to doing that. We see so many times in the Gospels where Jesus is saying, verily, verily, I say to you. Surely, surely, I say to you. I'm telling you the truth. And as we go into this passage, we see another example of Jesus committed to the truth, telling and talking to this large crowd about the truth, the truth of his message and the truth of our state. So let's get into that. If you have your sheets in front of you or your Bible, 
open that up to Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to 36. I'm going to read from the ESV. I think the sheets are in NIV, so please bear with me. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the man of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no dark part, it will be wholly bright. Gas, when a lamp with its ray gives you light. Amen. At, at the first glance of this passage or these passages, it looks like these two sections are completely different ideas. Like Jesus is talking about an evil generation and signs and Jonah and the Queen of Sheba and then starts talking about lamps, right? It doesn't seem like they're connected, but actually they are, very much so. Um, and in order to understand today's passage, there are three questions that we're going to answer to help us understand what Jesus is getting at here. Those three questions, and we'll reiterate them throughout the sermon. One, why does Jesus call this generation evil? Two, what is the sign of Jonah? Hint, he's not like a Libra or Sagittarius. Right, that's not what we're getting at here. Jesus, third question. Jesus, what is the point here? What are you getting at? So let's go to the first question. Why does Jesus call this generation evil? So we see in this passage that Jesus had already been speaking to this crowd. He had, uh, he had healed a man of a demon. And this crowd is growing, right? More people come to listen. And I find this super, super interesting that as this crowd is growing, Jesus takes this opportunity to correct them and not tickle their ears. So, like, if you're speaking to a large group of people and you're trying to get them to buy into your message, you don't want to start off by calling them evil. Right? Like, that's not, how you, that's not how you win people, right? You're not going to get them to stay, right? But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus calls them evil. And it's so interesting. This is a rant. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't preached in a year, so I'm allowed one rant, okay? One rant. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that we have pastors. We have leaders in Christianity that have massive platforms, right, that reach millions of people who do not follow Jesus' example of telling the truth bending to the culture, bending to like whatever the pervasive idea is in the world and not telling the truth. It's a shame. Recently I saw one pastor, he was talking about these struggles that individuals who struggle with their gender identity, um, he was talking about them and this is a, he, he has a platform that reaches millions of people. 
And in his response to those struggles, he says, I don't know why God didn't create more options. He goes as far as saying, if he was with God, he would have suggested more options. Maybe one, two, three, four, up to four different options. Here's an opportunity where you have a massive platform, massive reach to tell people the truth that God has created two, two genders because he's wise and he knows what he's doing and he's loving. And this leader folds. This leader decides to use this massive platform to tickle ears, to be liked, to maybe grow that platform. I don't know his intentions. But it's shameful that given this opportunity to tell the truth, he doesn't. He doesn't. That's why I love Jesus. Jesus will tell you the truth because what you need is the truth. You don't need vagaries. You don't need lies. You don't need your ears to be tickled. You need the truth. And Jesus looks at these people, this huge crowd, and he says, I'm going to give you the truth. I'm going to tell you like it is. You're an evil generation. Why? Right? Why, why are they an evil generation? They're an evil generation, right? The Bible says, because they had already seen Jesus performing these signs, and they're coming back to him and saying, we want another sign. Jesus literally cast a demon out of a man. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. That's pretty remarkable, right? Only one person has the power to do that, and that's Jesus. What's more, what's more miraculous, what's more evident of his power of who he is than him literally casting out demons? And they asked for another sign, right? In verse 16, we saw that they'd asked him this sign from heaven to test him. Signs from God are not evil, right? In and of themselves. Jesus healing a man is not evil. It's a good thing, right? That the steaming was cast, this man is free. It's a good thing. But when your requests for signs come from a place that is evil, when your motive for that, for that sign is evil, that's what Jesus is talking about here. They're coming from a place of pride. They want to test Jesus. This is the Lord of the universe. This man literally cast out a demon and you want to test him. We are very, very much like this evil generation that Jesus condemns. We are a different generation, same problem. We seek signs from God and we don't seek him, right? And a lot of times our, our motives are evil. Our motives come from pride, they come from control, they come from power, they come from unbelief. So for example, when we say things like, God, if you would just, if you would just heal my family member, then I know you're good and I, I know you're real. God, if you would just you know, give me that dream house and I know I have your favor. Lord, give me that spouse. You know, if I have that spouse, I'll know that you're good. Lord, I have this half-baked business idea that if you bless, <laughs> I got you. Don't even worry about it, <laughs> right? I know you're good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on Instagram and I'm going like, to do a video on like, how God blessed my, video, my, my business, right? This, these motives, these underlying reasons to ask God for these signs are evil because they don't come from a place of loving God. They come from a place of selfishness. They're tied to what we want. In this room, I want to say 14 years ago, right? I was at Baruch. Me and Just, I met Justin at Baruch. Um, one of my best friends, and 
he had told us about this apostle. His name was Apostle Kenneth Tracy, right, who would come to the church and like, they would have this big service and he would like give words to people. And he, he was like this big time prophet, like if he spoke something over your life, it's happening. So of course, I'm like, well, yeah, I definitely want to go to this service, you know. I want, it, I want this experience. And I remember sitting like right around there um, and like this guy, Apostle C, is like talking to people, giving people words. And I'm sitting over there as a like, God, please, please just, just give, give me a word. Give me a word. Tell him to talk to me. Give him something. Sure enough, he comes to me. He taps me. He's like, you. And I was like, me? He's <laughs> like, yeah, you. And then he speaks this incredible word over my life. And I'm like, wow, this is exactly what I wanted. I'm so happy. I, I came here and I got this word. I got this sign from God. A bunch of us after that service went to Sunset Park Diner, which is like one of the best diners in the city. Um, that's sarcasm. It's not. It's not. <laughs> Their burger is like, I don't, I can't, this is on record, so I'm not going to talk crap about them. Um, but yeah, we're sitting, eat the fries, just eat the fries, so don't get the burger. So we're, we're sitting after the service having a meal, and we're like high, right, off the service, and all, all of us were talking, and I, I remember saying, God, give me all the gifts, give me all the signs, I want it all, all right, and, and from that place... Like, to be honest, yes, I was talking about, like, experiencing God. At the same time, I was like, yeah, it would be cool to have, like, this ability. Uh, it'd be cool to heal people. It'd be cool to be able to sit in or speak in rooms of thousands of people, like, was proclaimed to me. That would be cool. Mostly, I was leaning towards the latter, right? Like, it was really more about me and what I would be able to do and experience than it was about God. And one of my friends was like man, when you said that, that really, that really hit me. Like, I really resonate with that. Years later, um, that same friend, we were hanging out. I was like, yo, I still think about what you said that day, and I'm still after that. Thankfully, in that time, God had actually convicted me of my idolatry of signs, and actually, he, I, I heard the gospel, and that's, you know, right when I became saved. I heard the gospel. I believed in the message of Christ. So I went this way, and that friend of mine continued to pursue signs. He continued to seek miracles and understand how he could do that. And ultimately, he shipwrecked his faith. Ultimately, like, it did not end well for him. I'm still praying for him that, you know, God would, would have mercy and save his soul. But we went two completely different directions. And that's because the motives of the signs were wrong. So this is why it's evil. It's evil when we want signs, we want experiences, we want miracles more than we want God. We have more faith in those things than the one who actually gives it. How sad is that? And Jesus loves us, he tells us the truth. It's evil to want the signs, the experiences, the miracles more than you want God. And that's what these people want. And that's what our generation wants too. So that's the answer to the first question. When we want signs and we have faith in signs, and our, our motives are evil for these signs, and we don't want God, that is wrong. Question number two, what is the sign of Jonah? So we see that Jesus references Jonah, and he also references this other Old Testament story about the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. 
So if you don't know really quickly, Jonah, Jonah's this prophet who really, really hates the people in Nineveh because they hate his people. And God tells him to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach to them because I want to save them. And Jonah's like, absolutely not. This is not what I'm doing, right? Think about your worst enemy. Think about God telling you to go over there, give your life, tell them about my goodness. I'm saving them. You're gonna be like, no, there's absolutely no way. No way I'm doing that. So Jonah absolutely disobeys God and he, he goes the other way, he takes a ship to a different city. God ends up, you know the story, right? You've seen Veggie Tales. God swallows him, right? <laughs> Redirects him back to Nineveh. Jonah begrudgingly preaches to the city of Nineveh and they believe. They believe the gospel, they repent, they turn away from the sin, God saves them. And Jonah's not even happy about that. He is like bitter about that. Like this man needs help, he's, he's so petty, right? The queen of the south, right? This is someone who was not a believer, she was not a Jewish person. She came to King Solomon, who was the king of Judah, wisest man on earth, and she came to seek wisdom from him. And he preached the message of God. She believed in her people. So we're, we're talking about the message of God being preached to people that normally shouldn't get this message, shouldn't get the grace, shouldn't get the salvation, but they get this message, they actually believe it. And Jesus is saying, I'm here preaching to you, I'm greater than Jonah, I'm greater than Solomon. And I'm preaching this message, you need to believe in it. So what he refers to here as the sign of Jonah, when he says like, you're only getting the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is when the word of God is preached. It's believed people repent and their lives are changed. So what Jesus is pointing to is like, this community of people, right, the church that he was forming, this is the sign of Jonah. This is what you're gonna get. When you want to understand who I am, my authority, my power. If you want evidence of that, look at these people's lives that have changed. That is the sign of Jonah. When people hear the message of God, they repent and their lives are changed. If you look in this room, the sign of Jonah sits here. There are people in this room who whose lives were like completely in darkness, completely away from God. They heard the message of God, they repented, they believed, their lives were changed. That is the sign of Jonah. And honestly, this is one of the most incredible signs of God's power, God's authority of who Jesus is. The fact that people who were completely opposed to him now believe in him, now live for him, in some cases, they die for him. That is an incredible sign. It's more, it's more incredible than the healing. That's more than God blessing you tremendously right now with like a new home and millions of dollars. The fact that you hear this message, you turn from your sin and you trust in him is the greatest sign of all, of God's power. That's the sign of Jonah. And as I've matured as a Christian, like that's what gets to me. Like that's what I'm excited about, seeing people who are lost become saved. I think of one person in this church individually, they gave me their permission to share their story. Um, some of you know Jonathan Rodriguez, uh, the, the younger one. Um, Elder John, you're not that old, by the way. <laughs> I just I need to make a distinction. But Jonathan Rodriguez, I met him years ago. He was a barista at Blend. And I met him because we would load all of the equipment for the church service downstairs in the basement of Blend. And every Sunday we'd be rolling this equipment in, 
he would just be like absolutely critical, like cracking jokes at us about our faith and being Christians. And like we would just like, we would talk to him, we'd hang out with him, we had a good friendship, but like he didn't want anything to do with God. And he would mock us every single Sunday. And God did a tremendous work in his life and saved him to the point that like we talk regularly and I've seen firsthand how God has changed this man from someone who is, who is cynical about God, cynical against Christians, to someone who loves God, who seeks God, who's broken about his sin, who wants to know God, who searches after him, who believes in him, who is now part of this community. So for me to see that happen in someone so cynical, so far away from God, that's incredible. That is absolutely tremendous. That's, that's the sign that we should be asking God for. We wanna see more of that. We wanna see more people transformed. We wanna see more people impacted by this message. This is a sign of Jonah. And this is what Jesus was going to share with that generation, wants to share with us as well. The third question, Jesus, what are you getting at? What, what, what are you talking about here, right? What's your goal? And I'm not gonna bury the lead here. I'll answer the question directly. What we believe about Jesus is the most important decision we make. Because what we believe about him either leads to life or it leads to death, right? There's, there's not multiple options here, right? Like that mega church who failed tremendously, Jesus gives two options. This is a truth. Either you go to life because of my message or you go to death if you don't receive it. That's it. That's it. When he's talking about the lamp here, he's referring to his message, the word, right? Those, you don't take that word and put it under a cellar or put it under a basket. When you receive that message, it changes your life, right? We all lived in darkness at one point. When we receive the message of Christ, that illuminates everything for us. His truth, his character shows us how we live, how we engage with one another, the things that we go after. That's the lamp Christ is referring to here. And when he refers to the body that's unhealthy and the body that is healthy because of that light, he's referring to essentially the body that's healthy is the body that has received the message. They've trusted in Christ's message. They've repented of their sin and they've turned away from him and now they live to his glory because of that light. And the body that's unhealthy is the body that hasn't received that message, that still lives in darkness. Jesus says there's two options. What we believe about him and what he said is absolutely important because either you believe and you have that life or you don't and you will be condemned. Our culture will tell us like the most important decision we make is who am I gonna marry? Where am I gonna live? What school to go to? What career path should I take? We're never asked, what are you gonna do with the message of Christ? How are you going to respond to that message of Christ? We're not asked that. And we should be thinking about that all of the time. We should be examining ourselves to say, what am I doing about this message? Do I believe it? Have I repented from my sin? Am I still living in darkness? Or do I not? Jesus tells the truth. Two options. 
There's only two options. We believe or we don't. That's it. That, that, that's the reality of it. So in light of that, in light of what Jesus is trying to get at, getting us to examine ourselves to see if we believe his message or if we don't, how do we respond to him? And how we respond, like I said, is the most important thing you do with your life. The most important, it doesn't matter how old you are, or how young you are. This is literally the most important thing you do with your life. This message of Christ, this message of his gospel, of repentance, of the forgiveness of our sins, that is the most important decision you ever have to make. So first, examine what you believe about Jesus. And you'll see the evidence of what you believe about Jesus based on your life, based on how you treat others, what you think about God, how you spend your time, how you spend your resources. It'd be very, very clear what you believe about him. Is Jesus just another suggestion? Are his commands dear to you? When given the opportunity to talk about his truth, are we just, are we downplaying it? Are we just folding to the culture? Or are we saying, no, I believe this because this is who he is and this is what he said. Examine your life. Examine the choices you make. And sometimes it's hard to do that because there's so much going on in life. Like I look at my day sometimes, I wake up at like six o'clock because Ambrose decides that's when I need to wake up. Ambrose is my one-year-old son. Um, and then from that, I have to go right into work and then I have to work, put Ambrose down. And then, you know, hang out with Steph and then walk the dogs. And then it's 10 o'clock and I am asleep five minutes into a show that means Steph are watching. And then I get up because I have to wash dishes and then I go to bed at one o'clock. Where, where's the time to examine myself? I'm often convicted because I don't stop and think, all right, am I believing in your, in your message today, Lord? Concerning this situation in my life, am I believing you? Concerning this, concerning this, this struggle, this decision, am I believing in you? Or am I just going around blindly? Take the time to examine yourself. God is gracious. He will tell you the truth. He will show you where you're at. And he'll give you the peace, the grace to come to him and say, God, I didn't believe in you again. Forgive me. Give me strength, give me hope, give me guidance to your Holy Spirit, and he will grant you that. Examine yourself. Two, if you have not received or believed the message of Christ, then the call is for you to repent. The call is for you to believe in that message. Because the reality is if, if we haven't placed our hope in Christ, if we haven't believed in his message, if we desired his signs more than him, we'll be guilty of that. And this is what Christ is talking about when he's saying that the queen of Sheba, the people of Nineveh, they will rise up and they will judge this generation. There will be a day one day where we will judge the nations, those of us who've put our faith and hope in Christ. If you haven't believed in him, if you haven't repented, you will be judged. You will be judged. 
Christ loves you enough to tell you that. Believe, believe in the gospel. Let it change your life. Once you've believed, shine that light, right? A light is no good sitting under a basket. You don't walk around at 8 p.m. at your house with the lights off, right? It's, it's, no, it's no use to you at that point, right? Turn it on, right? Turn the light on. Use that. There are people in your life who are walking around in darkness, who don't have this message of hope, who are searching, who are giving their lives for signs, for miracles, for experiences, missing the point, missing the fact that we should be actually looking to the one who gives the signs. We should be putting our faith, our hope in the one who gives the signs, not the signs themselves. Your responsibility is to share that light, to share your story, to share how God has met you, how God has changed you, and how you are forever changed because of his goodness. Don't hide your light. There are people who need the light around you. So as, as I close, there will be people available to pray with you, but don't just rush off into the next song. Sit down, take stock of your life, examine your, your thoughts, examine how you've been spending your time. Examine how you've been engaging with God. Have you believed? And if the answer is no, Confess that to God. He's gracious. He's so loving. Jesus is not, you know, calling these people evil for the sake of just dunking on them and just like criticizing them. That's not his end. His end is that they would believe. So if you feel God calling you to examine yourself, do that. And then sing. So that you are aligning with the truth. Or go and get someone to pray with you. So Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you tell the truth. Thank you that you make it absolutely clear. If we believe in you, there's life. There's transformation, whole generations can be changed for the better. Those who were lost, those who were dead in sin can be brought to life if we believe. But if we don't believe, we will be judged, we will be condemned, rightfully so. Because we've made idols of what you can give us. We've worshiped the wrong thing. Help us, Lord Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for the grace we have to confess and believe that you will hear us, you will forgive us, you will heal us, you will give us hope. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name.